Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to the Block by Design Podcast, where we explore the power and process behind Design for Web3. We'll guide you through the immense challenges faced in Web3 and how embracing the right design methodologies helped overcome these blockers. I'm Reem. And I'm Akil, and we are your co-hosts. So next we have Amna from MetaMask. So Amna, could you please introduce yourself a little bit and provide context to how you got into the space? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been into human-computer interaction or user experience field for about six, seven years now with uh, both my bachelor's and master's in this field and working in the industry for four or five years. And I got into blockchain earlier uh, last year with a small startup based out of Vancouver. So that was my first kind of getting introduction to the space. And I, of course, got introduced to MetaMask as well. So I ended up working with the team, joining the team uh, in October last year. So um, the reason why MetaMask team thought it would be good to hire someone with a more research background in the US was to understand what the, how the product is being used, um, who's using it, why they're using it, the main problems with it. So. All these questions also kind of unfolded as we did more and more research studies. But as a first step, one of the first things that we did when, when I joined was just getting the broad understanding of who's using this product and when do they use it, why are they using it, and the biggest chunks of problems or like the big categories of problems, so to say. And, and from there, we started doing more and more research studies and to going through deeper through each of those problems to understand those problems better on, let's say, onboarding, on how the DAP and wallet interaction happens. Very early on when I joined, so I think in the beginning of this year already, we had launched Metametrics, which was also a really, really interesting process. I worked with analytics before and we used just the off-the-shelf products to apply analytics in my previous companies. But of course, I mean, this is a very different context, decentralized way. We are very, very conscious of people's privacy and we want to make sure that if you're collecting data and if people are opting in to collect data, to, to share their data, we treat that really, really respectfully and anonymize it and not make it granular. So, so there was a lot of thought that we put into how we're going to do metametrics. And there's a series of articles that are available on our medium. Could you provide a bit of context to what made you guys get into Metametrics? What was the key indicator that you guys needed to implement this in the first place? Because one of the challenges in the ecosystem is that as you're talking about privacy and having context to how the ecosystem works, a lot of people are kind of anti-analytics and mm -hmm. recording all the ongoings of application side of things. Right. What made you guys jump in and say, hey, this is really needed for the ecosystem, this is needed for MetaMask to progress? as an onboarding tool that it is. Yeah, absolutely. So to give you a bit of context on Metametrics, the team has been aware for a long time, way before I joined, that we should be collecting some data to understand at least, you know, how many people are using us and like uh, using MetaMask and simple things like daily active users and weekly active users, the stuff that you should know about a product when it's out there. 
So this was something that like a lot of people within the team were for that we should have analytics, especially the design team to help understand who the users are. And some of the people in the team were also not very for it because of this concern with privacy. So for a long time, I think there was this debate and this thing within the team that we shouldn't collect data. And that's why we didn't for a long time. And when I joined, at least actually like this decision had already been made that we will do it, but in a very, very mindset. So I think my personal participation happened when we were trying to understand how to do it in a mindful way. Uh, as you mentioned, the privacy concern, that was one of the key things that was kind of surprising as well, that we thought that a lot of people will not opt in, but our opt-in rates are uh, around 70%, which is yeah. uh, shockingly high. And another thing that we wanted to make sure was that we are not going to be a company who gets this data, gets this insights and keep it a secret and just use it for our own benefit. As MetaMask, we are positioned in a very, uh, I would say a privileged position to be in at a place where we could share a lot of the insights with the Web3 ecosystem and help it grow as a whole. So that's something that we wanted to use as an opportunity to help out and to yeah, share instead of uh, keep it a secret. So that was also like one of our goals of using uh, like an open source analytics platform and also, yeah, making sure we are sharing the insights on a somewhat regular basis. Yeah, I'd love to kind of dig in on the opt-in rate side of things. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to get a bit more context into your role within the design team. So are you the only user researcher within the MetaMask team? Could you provide a little bit of context to how the design team is kind of set up? Yeah, sure. So before I joined, we had one designer at MetaMask, uh, Christian Jeria. He's He had been kind of holding the fort of design till I joined. And then I joined as a you know, officially as a user researcher, but his plate was really full with a lot of design work. So I started also helping out a bit with the interaction design work with taking user research insights from just insights to wireframes and prototype. We worked very, very closely together to actually get the newer features out the door. I worked a lot as well with the, the product manager of the team, um, because a lot of it is also about making sure that what we are discovering from our user research is getting to product development cycle. So it has to be really, really well integrated. And that's why I work a lot with Bobby, who's a product designer and Dan as well. Like it's, it's a very collaborative process as a whole. And um, recently Rachel, who uh, she joined as a senior product designer as well at the team. Now we are a team of three in design. So it's been really fantastic to have a way faster design cycle uh, we are also really, really well integrated, like we are integrating with the developers and the other people in the team in our design process a lot more as well, because we can divide tasks, we can uh, take a particular features and own them and have those cycles and in include people right from the beginning. And that's something that I think have been our focus as well in research to make sure that the other parts of the team who are most involved with building those features are also involved uh, during research uh, right from the beginning not just in the, let's say, if you're doing interviews in the interview, but also like defining what the research question is and everyone's kind of mind space is included in what we are learning about. And even like, uh, I think people get more engaged into the findings if they're engaged since, since the beginning. So we try to do that a lot. Can you talk a little bit about your methods in conducting research, how you went on about it, who you interviewed or what, what you've done to get your findings? 
Yeah, for sure. So mainly we have qualitative research methods, what we follow. And at least in the beginning, it was more and more interviews. Towards the end, we started, uh, like just recently, we started doing some quicker user tests as well, like with Usability Hub, this platform where you can design a quick test and test it for a really, really small questions like, is this screen understandable? Uh, what do people understand? Uh, those kind of smaller questions, uh, very specific questions. Uh, but in the beginning, like uh, we do a lot of interviews and the interviews range from uh, very, very open in uh, interviews. Like when we're talking to powered app users, what are they using and why are they using it? What are the benefits they get out of it? What are the hurdles they have to pass through? Why do they pass those hurdles? Those kind of things. That's like very open-ended. There are some interviews that we do kind of semi-structured. Uh, so it tends to be first half is gaining context of what kind of a user that is, uh, who we're talking to. And then the later part is largely usability testing for some of the features that we're working on. Sometimes we do research really, really focused on one specific question, like let's say account management, how are people using different accounts in MetaMask? How do they treat their identity? That kind of stuff. And then we go into different directions that we're looking into, into design. So like we actually show people mocks and get their ideas on more the concept and less the usability aspect. So it really depends on what we are researching and that just defines like how we are going to conduct that. So that method really is, in my opinion, not that important. I mean, it is important, but it's really just defined by the question that we have. And I think uh, I would like to emphasize on the recruitment strategy as one of the things that I have particularly found a bit challenging, to yeah. be honest. I was and going to different. ask, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it's very different in, um, if you ask me, like, what's, what's different in doing research in Web2 versus Web3, I would say recruitment is one of the biggest things. And um, another one would be content strategy and content testing. And recruitment, because we have users who are using MetaMask for a long time. They tend to start getting used to some of the quirks. They have these interesting workarounds that's really useful to see and view and to understand what the workarounds are for, <laughs> you know, and what have they become used to and then the other kind of problems that, that they encounter. But there are also people who are fairly new to MetaMask. And those are the kind of people like I, I would say we should be also focusing more and more on. Yeah, so I think that's the one key distinction that we have to be mindful of user segmentation is quite difficult. So are you guys looking at it as a developer tool or is it more towards onboarding totally new crypto users? And how do you guys segment the product and how do you segment the user research and get to a point where you're actually interviewing the right people as far as the product strategy goes? Yeah, so uh, user segmentation is an interesting topic that comes up a lot. And initially I was also tempted to, uh, the way I was looking at it and the way I was recruiting people was largely around developers versus non-developers. But more I spoke with both the developers and both the non-developer type of users, the more I understood that uh, it's more a distinction between people who are using MetaMask for personal use versus people who are, MetaMask, uh, who are using MetaMask for personal and professional use or just professional use. And that professional use could be the person could be a developer. It could be someone who's working in Web3 space, someone who can who's just curious about it, really just testing different Web3 products out. So an enthusiast who's not a developer can also be uh, put into that advanced group of users just because they're interfacing with the product a lot. 
and in many different ways. They are more motivated to get out there and pass some of the hurdles that maybe people who don't really care about Web3 aren't. So um, I would say that's more the user segmentation distinction of a yeah of someone who's using it for more professional use or like also the reason is also just interest in the technology in itself. So how do you go about actually reaching out to these individuals to do their recruitment? So uh, one of our main recruitment sources is consensus because that's like one of the biggest pool that we have really, really easy access to schedule calls and to work with. So we have this um, kind of a database of people who said that they'd be interested in participating in research. And we have some background on the context of uh, use of MetaMask, like how, how long have they been using it for? What do they use it for? We keep track on like who's participated in different MetaMask research studies in the past. And that is a lot of our users who works at Consensus. Also because like we're not just doing research for MetaMask end users, but we're also doing research studies for uh, developer use. So uh, not just developer, I would say builder use. So like people who are using MetaMask to integrate it into a product that they're building. And kind of feedback we're looking from them is not necessarily in the usability pain points with MetaMask, but like very different kind of uh, problems on like, what do they want to enable with their DAP as an experience and how as one of their key touch points, how we can enable that best. So that also is something that we get from consensus a lot, but I try to keep people who are who we are interviewing for that builder purpose different than people who are we into who we are interviewing for end user purpose. We try to recruit people from our surveys. So we put out surveys on Twitter and in conferences, and there we always have a field where we say, do you want to participate in user research? And if we get the email, we also reach out to them if we have a new user study. We did some studies also for new users or people who are almost not aware of MetaMask. And that was just recruitment from personal networks. <laughs> and uh, like I, I teach, uh, I used to teach uh, UX at a local school over here. So I reached out to students over there. How was that experience getting them onboarded? Yeah, so that was really interesting to just hear their perspective, not just on MetaMask, but a lot of things around the perceptions of anything blockchain <laughs> is also a big barrier like to people's perception oh this is all a scam it's not for me it's for techies it's uh i don't have cryptocurrency so it doesn't make sense we learned a lot about what builds what kind of information has built trust in different stages of onboarding and that trust kind of also defines if people would go to the next step or not it helps us it helped us also uh, design a lot of our mobile ui because mobile is uh, metamask mobile is largely focused on anyone and everyone who wants to interface with ethereum we also did some really light cafe study that was uh, really fun i literally went cafe to cafe and put metamask mobile in people's hands and asked them hey what do you think this is <laughs> and that was really interesting as well so, oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. I'd love to get those insights on a blog post or something. Yes. What was like the most random suggestion by someone that you've just put MetaMask in their hands? A lot of people thought of it as something that would help them stop getting tracked by Google and such. They were like, oh, oh will, will I stop getting ads if I use this? Or uh, will I stop being bothered? Or will my data, will I have more control over my data when I use this? And some of the people also um, thought it was a some sort of a finance app. And when I asked them like what these DAP listings, like uh, I of course didn't say DAP, but like 
referring to that area where there's a DAP homepage. It was interesting to hear also that they were saying, oh, these are all finance apps. Like, it didn't, they didn't think of it as anything else and they didn't even associate it with blockchain really, which was also interesting. Yeah. So with that information, what do you do with it? Yeah. So some of the things that we just like off the bat is very small changes in, let's say, if the information that we want to communicate is not the information that is getting communicated, then we iterate on uh, how do we communicate that better. Uh, to people who are getting onboarded, but also just getting outside perspective. And I use it a lot just to expose it to our team and get inspiration and get that kind of open-mindedness within the team that these are the people, these are the kind of responses that we get when we put our product in hands of people who are outside of the bubble. And I think that's, I see that as one of the biggest things that even I get sucked into just thinking very inside the bubble. And I feel very inspired when I also get the, I hear these kind of responses to actually get more out of the bubble and get insights more from people who are not necessarily in the space. So there's a delicate balance. I would say that eventually we should be able to do research with people who are completely not in the space. But to be honest, I think we get so much more insights from people who are using the product to some extent because those are the people who can actually go deeper into it like with uh, people who are completely new they are one of the first hurdles they get into is like okay how do i even begin using this and that's a huge problem that we know we have in the space in general but it's something that we cannot let people experience so, so. so touching on that, having the right timing for doing the user research, how do you guys hone in on what do you think would be the most value add for the product development lifecycle? Perhaps touch on what led you guys to implementing the plugin system mm -hmm. called Snaps or any other wins that you think the research side of things actually brought to the product? Yeah, so maybe it also helps to explain how like idea generation happens, at least within our team. And it's yeah. not just like we are doing research, we are really, really in touch with the community, some parts of the team at least, some parts of us like customer support is really, really into helping people out on a daily basis. They bring in very different kind of insights than even like someone like me who's doing research. Then there's this other complete part of the team who's yes, also really interested and really into this customer side of things or like user-centric side of things, but also they have these really interesting ideas and insights on the technology and the capabilities of the technologies and what the new developments are happening. So I think the idea generation happens when like all of us kind of come together and have those discussions and something strikes up in someone's mind. And that's how, like, I would say like the plugin system was uh, really a idea that Dan Finlay had. And uh, he had that not just because of the technical insight, but he had that a lot because of the kind of requests we got from uh, from MetaMask um, yeah. that this is the new technology, please like integrate it. And like, we do that a lot. And he's also like very people facing as well. I would say like, uh, I wouldn't say that research is something that's the only thing that brings up ideas, but yeah, it does have the impact. And like what I try to do is when we have this plugin system idea, the permission system idea, what are the questions that we need to answer to actually implement it in a way that is really sensible, both for developers who are going to use the plugin system to develop or to make plugins and to integrate it with MetaMask. What does a good integration looks like? That's also a huge question. And what does a good integration look like for the end end users? That's another huge, big open question. And that requires very different kind of research than your typical usability testing. So 
I would say in the beginning, uh, let's say, uh, I think when I joined after that, so let's say for six months was enough to kind of understand what are the big problems that we need to deal with. Uh, and we worked on making them into smaller projects and getting it into the product development cycle. And that was kind of enough to understand the current problems and how we're going to deal with it is the next step. We reached a point where we were hearing the same things and it wasn't being as useful. So the next step becomes like actually working on them, doing like prototypes and actually going and testing it whenever those prototypes are ready. And then the next phase of research started, which was a lot more generative, which was a lot more on bigger open questions, uh, which I believe like impacts way more the product strategy than um, the specific feature of feature improvements of MetaMask. So I think, yeah, that, that's how I at least see the trend changing. And also I think uh, there was a point where we were behind in research and design cycle, then development cycle. Like our developers were almost kind of waiting that, hey, give us this sign ready, which is tested in the beginning. Uh, so we were pretty behind. We were playing the catch up game for a couple of months. And for sure. uh, then there was a moment where we had caught up and now there's a moment where we are kind of ahead of it and their designs already ready to be picked up for development. Um, so that's also kind of the way product development has changed over the, over the previous periods. And I think research is just one piece of the puzzle that has helped design kind of move faster. You mentioned Christian was the sole designer and he had to wear a lot of hats in the early stages of MetaMask. What kind of advice would you give projects working in the space to onboard designers or pull in those resources sooner? Or do you think MetaMask did it at the ideal time? Is there certain context you can provide from like, how do you build up a team and when do you know is the right time to get in someone skilled as yourself to facilitate those conversations? Yeah, I think um, there's something to be said about just the, I, I'm not going to say that one role brings in better, or it's, it's more about like different kind of insights than the others. And I believe like design role brings a different kind of challenges and different kind of like quality standards uh, of what we put out there in people's hands, even if it is like a very, very MVP version. And I think a lot of times that, uh, that part of the puzzle is missing in a lot of product development conversations when it's largely around, can we build it? Does it work? Uh, as in, does it function? So let's put it out there. I think with the designer, that's something that changes. And if you have one designer in the team, that's what like Christian was really overfull with so much stuff that he had to pick his battles. And a lot of times things went out the door, which he would not necessarily approve of, but go out of the door because, you know, we had to keep shipping and that cannot stop. And even now, like there are things that go out the door, which isn't like, you know, hasn't gone through design QA, but it's way less. Uh, we can now have a process where designers involved every step of the way, right from the beginning on what should we build. So like even feature brief, like I'm working with product manager to actually create the feature brief. So I'm like, to make sure the definition since the, since the beginning is making sense for people at the end who are going to use it. And till the very end of like making sure the design makes sense for people, making sure the design implementation is like to the highest quality. That's amazing to hear. So I'm very excited about the work you guys have been doing as far as not only the qualitative, but bringing in the quantitative with metametrics. So could you speak a little bit on the process of how you guys plan on marrying those two sides of the research and how do you see that benefiting the other projects in the ecosystem as well? 
actually, you know what? I can give you a good example of uh, how quantitative data has already helped us. So uh, one of the things that we didn't, I mean, I think it was somewhat there implicitly, but inside became really way stronger with the quantitative data of transactions as one of the biggest things why MetaMask is used. Like I was kind of on the verge of thinking maybe it's more the wallet functionalities than using dApps, but it's actually way more dApp uh, using the dApps. So okay. that also like changes our perspective of what the product is really for people. And uh, that I hear again and again in qualitative interviews as well. And then uh, when we talk about the transactions that opened up a huge research space for trying to understand how can we improve those moments of interaction where a dab triggers uh, metamask pop-ups or those kind of requests and how can we make that dab wallet interaction better and smoother and makes more sense to end users i think that's something that we have been focusing a lot on in the last months and that i think was largely driven by metametrics yeah, I think I see that as uh, marrying those two in that way. And then there are some things that we are thinking of. When we change something in the design, uh, we could also test it with metametrics. The last question would be, if you had to make a pitch to any product or any projects in the space that are having challenges finding product market fit or not knowing who the users are, what would you recommend to them be their next step as far as user research or getting that process built in? Just talk to users, <laughs> just talk to people. I would say like, uh, talk to people who are using your product a lot, 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 like engage a lot with them and talk to people who are maybe using, were using your product, but stopped using it or switched to another product. Talk to people who are. So I think one of the challenges is that you guys are fortunate enough that MetaMask does have users, yeah, that's fair. whereas a lot of the other projects <laughs> in the space don't have any users to begin with. What would be a piece of advice to get to the point where they have access to some sort of viable information that does help them go in that direction? I think understanding, doing problem validation is very important because a lot of the things that we're seeing out there in the space and like also from what we learned from our research is people are just not getting value out of the products that are out there right now are like very few products are, are actually giving some sort of value like solving a problem or are at least somewhat fun or engaging uh, or you know helping them make money or like something you know so value proposition defining that see if it solves a pain point or is is helping people achieve something that they can't right now or achieve something better than they can right now. So that, that sounds very <laughs> abstract, but yeah, I think uh, that's one of the key things. Like um, we keep, if we keep focusing on making products easy to use, that's just not enough because we have to make useful products first and then make sure that it's easy to use. And there are just not enough useful products out there right now. If anyone wants to reach out to you or ask you more questions about your role as a design researcher, how do people get a hold of you? My handle is at Omna Toshniwal. That's my first name and last name. So O M N A T O S H N I W A L. If anyone wants to get any of the resources or the sharing of information, they can find it at uh, MetaMask uh, Medium or what would be the best place? Yeah, right now MetaMask Medium is where we're sharing most of the stuff. Uh, we should be sharing way more than what we're sharing, but it's just not uh, something 
I haven't just gotten down to actually document and write articles and all that. So if you have specific questions, I've also had people who reach out and ask for a specific type of data, specific type of insight, and I just tell that to them like one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And that's like very, we are very open to sharing what we learned. So feel free to reach out. Perfect. Thank you very much.